Thank you, worship team. Really appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll get this scored away in just a minute. It's kind of kind of fun. We'll get to that. Hey, you are uh, joining us in part seven of a seven-part series on how to hypnotize a congregation <laughs> with a data projector. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, it's so good to have you. We are finishing up a series um, called Meaningful, and um, this is a series that we have been working on for now uh, about seven weeks, and we're in the last installment of it. <laughs> so much fun. So much fun. Okay, we're, we're going to get this thing squared away, and uh, I, I feel bad. Um, let me just pause it for a minute before I keep going. Is there something that I can do up here that would be helpful? No? No? Okay. Let me know if there is, and uh, I might ignore you, but I'll try. Okay. All right. Uh, we, are, we are finishing up this series, and if we can't get it soon, I'm okay just to kill it, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on without it. Um, in which, essentially, we're, we're tracking with a teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes on the idea that life is really close to meaningless unless you have the hope of life after death. And what I've said in the, the entirety of the series is that this teacher, we call him Q, this teacher um, has essentially begun his letter in his book, and he said, listen, life, life is meaningless. Like The sun rises and it sets, and the water fills the sea, and yet it never seems to overflow, and the rhythms of life keep going, and you know what? You're all going to die. Man, just he did tell you, you're all going to die. And I've likened it to the idea of being on the Titanic, where... You are sinking, and you know you're sinking, and you just can't help it, and you can't stop it, and you're, you're going to die. And Q kind of has that almost like life is pointless kind of view, like it's just not worth it, and it's going to die. It's good. Speaking of dying, we've, we've killed I think that's probably good for this morning. We've, we've killed that this morning. And Q kind of comes with this teaching of, you know what, it's just over. Like life is going to be worthless. It's meaningless. But then, here's what I've said in this series, that one idea changes everything. Like, what if when you die, that's not the end of it, okay? And what if that's actually not it? Because if that is true, that there is life after death, then it changes everything about how we live. And if I can just summarize it this way, like, there's two big ways of living, okay? The one big way of living over here is, like, life that I know is all there is. And we know people like that who are just living life as it is. Like, I'm here, I'm making the best decisions that I can. I mean, people may like me or they may not, but this is it. And I'm just going to live it up for what it is. I'm going to give it the best I have. They make money decisions a certain way, relational decisions a certain way, um, uh, career decisions a certain way, faith decisions a certain way, and there's not a lot of reason to live under control, okay? There's just not a lot of reason to think about anybody else because really it's kind of all about me. And Q, the teacher, says, says as much in his book. He said, listen, if you can, as you're sliding off the deck of the Titanic into the cold, dark water, if you can enjoy the little piece of life that you have, you can enjoy the cake that you're eating while you're dying, enjoy it. In other words, pleasure is like the little sedative that you can take that can give your, your constant headache a break for an hour, but it'll come back. So take the pill. Enjoy the pleasure. And that's all it is. It's a very hedonistic viewpoint. Just enjoy life because it's all there is. And honestly, if there's no hope after this life, it is, that's the smartest way to live. Because this is all you've got. So go for it. That's, that's what Q is saying. Man, this is, might be it. So enjoy the pleasures. But that's one way to live. But another way to live is realizing, you know what? When we die, and when we slide into the cold, dark water, like that's not all there is. 
If there actually is a resurrection, and if Jesus actually came to this planet, and he actually came back to life, it changes everything about how I see everything. And what we said is it changes how we see what is wise and foolish. It changes how I see my reputation. It changes today, we're going to see that it changes how we see the future. And it changes how we see knowing God's will specifically. Okay? So this morning I want to talk with you about this concept of knowing God's will or trying to know it and the concept of the future and what can we know about the future. Now, if I can summarize to you um, Q's teaching on the future, let me summarize it to you this way. He says this, <clears throat> it's the future. How in the world do you expect anybody to know it? Okay? That's his teaching. Why do you even want to know? Like, no one's been there. So what are you trying to do? Like, no one can know it. We're going to see what he has to say about that more in a minute. But that's his starting point. Now, here's where we come to with with the future and God's will. And I think you can resonate with some of this. There's a variety of reasons why we want to know the future and know God's will. Uh, I will tell you, some of you may have noticed, I have um, usually wear a wedding ring on this finger right here where a wedding ring should go, and it's been there for 17 and a half years. Uh, we went tubing about a month ago in um, the Peckway Creek area, uh, Sickman's Mill or whatever, down some, somewhere south, all right? And I emerged from that exciting adventure without the ring still on my finger, which is a real bummer, Okay. Now, I'll tell you this, if I would have known the future, I would have actually, I would have actually paid money to know that that was going to happen. I would have, wouldn't you? Sometimes we want to know the future so badly, we're willing to pay if you can tell me what's going to happen or what you think will happen. Therefore, I'm going to pay to buy a book that you might write. I'm going to go to a seminar that you might teach me on what I should do in the future, what might happen. That we value knowledge of the future so much that it is so valuable in the present. If someone is wise enough to be able to understand the future, I'm all ears. I'm going to sit with and be in company with you because I want to know the future. Because if I know what's going to happen, it gives me great value in the present. There's no question about it. Last Sunday morning, I did one of the strangest and dumbest things I've done for a long time. Well, at least in a week, all right? And I'm sitting there, and my pattern on Sunday mornings is to be up very early uh, for me, and I'll spend some quiet time in my downstairs office, uh, and, I, and I just, you know, go downstairs, get a, a hot drink, and go down, and just spend some quiet time down there, and getting my final thoughts ready to, to speak with you guys here. And I was done at my office chair, and um, my office chair downstairs is sitting on a plastic carpet protector, like it would be a normal thing in an office anywhere, and I go to push back from my desk just with my feet, and evidently my feet were clammy or something like that, or so I don't know what happened, but anyway, I, my foot slipped and just flew right out and, and kicked the, the desk and broke my toe last Sunday morning. Now, isn't that ridiculous? It was crazy. It was a kind of pain where it just shoots through you and takes your breath away. My toe has been swollen and black and blue and purple since then. I'm telling you this. I would have paid. Okay? I would have paid to know that that would have happened when I pushed my foot out on that carpet thing to, to push back. Because if I have known the future, it is so valuable to know that in the present. And that's why we will constantly say, man, I wish I could know, I wish, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. And that is why we're going to labor over bigger decisions than smaller decisions. It's why you have probably labored. What college should I go to? What job should I take? What house should I buy? What car should I get? What person should I date? Because the bigger decision, the more we labor over it. Because we just want to know 
the future. And in truth, what we really want in the future is we want, ultimately, we want peace with ourselves, peace with others, and peace with God. And this is why I want to know the future. Because in the future, just like in the present, we want peace. We don't want to make decisions that are going to make you upset with me. You don't want to make decisions that make other people upset with you. We want to get along with people. We want a peace with others. We want to be at peace with ourselves. We don't want to look back with regret and say, man, I can't believe I fell into that temptation again. You don't want to look back and say, man, I can't believe I made a decision based on that value that was so wrong of me, and I can't, quote-unquote, live with myself. You want peace with yourself. You want peace with God. If you're someone who follows God or wants to to have a, a life of faith, you want to figure that out, and you want peace with God. In other words, you want to do the things that honor God. And so we want to know the future in many ways because we want peace, and we want a future that we can kind of see is clear, that we can be ultimately living at peace with everybody. And in the middle of that, enter Q's teaching, and his teaching just kind of strikes against that so harsh. And he says, you know what? Good luck with that future thing, because no one knows it. So have fun. His teaching is a little more in-depth than that. I want to take you to four different passages that Q is going to teach us on this morning. Then I want to, at the end, give you a principle and then a question that you can ask to try to guide your thinking related to the future. Okay, so let's look at Q's teaching. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7 is where we're going to start here this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew around you. Ecclesiastes 7, beginning at verse 13. Uh, And if you're just getting used to the Bible that is near you or around you, you can feel free to look up where Ecclesiastes is. Or another easy way to get there is open kind of to the middle of your Bible, find the Psalms, and then move to your right through Proverbs and into the book of Ecclesiastes. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 13. Here's what he says. I'm reading from the New International Version, the NIV. He says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. Let's pause it right here. Verses 13 and 14, key principle for Q. Beginning at verse 13, who can straighten what he's made crooked? I want you to imagine in your mind um, the image, and maybe you know someone like this, who, who is what we call a hunchback, okay? someone whose spine has been, become crooked through no fault of their own, just the way things are. That is the image that Q is going for. That is kind of the root image of this word, someone who has, is a hunchback. And you know that you can't really just correct that easily. Okay? You just can't go fix that baby and lay down and hope that that thing works. And so he's saying, life is like that. Your days are crooked. And he says this, who can straighten what God has made crooked? And so he says in verse 14, here's what make you crooked. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So... Q is teaching this, that God has made, okay, God has made both the good days and the bad days. And because he's made both, it seems like life is crooked. Now, to understand this, I want you to, to look up here for a minute and see this high-quality visual that I have for you this morning. Okay, if you're listening online later or whatever, I'm, I'm holding a weapon here, okay? This is a, an empty paper towel roll thing. Cardboard. I don't know what this, what you call it. Right? Paper towels get glued onto and then wrapped around this forever and ever. 
And in our homes, these are never used for anything but to be thrown away, okay, after they're done, um, or to make a nice little whack sound. They're also very good for, you know, speaking clearly to people who are far away, or even right near you and turning and yelling into someone's ear through a paper towel roll holder, okay? So here's the thing. They also, when you're younger, they make great telescopes. You can look through and kind of see a real focused vision of just, if I just want to look at one or two or three of you at a time, I'll look through here and see that. What Q is saying is, take life like this. And what I would love to do with life, and I think what you would as well, it would be awesome if I could take something and look straight ahead and say, if I can line up a good day upon a good day upon a good day upon a good day upon a good day, then I'm going to have a good week. Then I'm going to have a good season of life, and life will be straight. And I can focus, and I can look and see, this is what I need to do to create that. And Q says, that's wonderful for you, but here's what God does with life. This is life. And he throws a kink in there called a bad day. And everything was good for a while, and then all of a sudden you have a bad day, and you're like, wait, I can't see anything anymore, and it doesn't work like it, doesn't work like it used to, and I can't even hit anybody with this thing. Like, it doesn't work. And he's saying, listen, life is bent like this. It is crooked like this. And who in the world is strong enough to straighten it out? Once it's bent, it's bent. Now here's the gift of that, okay? If life were fully like this, and if I could control my future, I would, I'm telling you right now, I would push you out of the way to get what I want. If I could control all my good days, I would create a whole host of good days and I would ultimately not care about your days at all. Life would be completely self-centered on me and I would just roll my life over you. I'm just telling you that ultimately is what would happen to all of us because self-centeredness would take over. And this is what Q says, because God does this, therefore, therefore he says in verse 14, therefore a man cannot discover anything about his future. You can't look through this anymore and just predict day after day after day of good days will lead to certain outcomes. It's not that easy. It's bent. Hard times confuse you. They confuse me. Why do you have cancer? Why did your kid get that teacher? Why is it that you lost the job? Why is it that your parents can't get along? Why are they getting a divorce? It's a hard day and a hard season and it doesn't make sense. It makes me question everything and I don't know now what the future will be like on the other end. And Q's saying, who can straighten out what God has made crooked? If I could control it all, I would, but I can't. Therefore, who can know the future? He asks the question. It's a fair question. His teaching continues in the next chapter in verse uh, 7. Chapter 8 and verse 7. He says, since no man knows the future... Who can tell him what is to come? So it gets a little worse, all right? Meaning, sometimes we think, well, if I don't know what the future holds, then maybe somebody else does. Like, maybe somebody who's older and wiser can help me know what the future will hold or help me know what to do. And he's telling us here, since no man has been to the future, there is no one available to tell you what is to come. Now, again, this is and he's a little disillusioned and kind of a, a downer kind of a teacher sometimes, to be honest. Not only do you not know it, but the wisest people that you could possibly find around you can't tell you what the future will hold. Now, I don't think that he's denying the reality that wise people have an intuition about the future. Okay? Um, wise people also just kind of know outcomes. For example, um, we have in our home right now 
uh, something sitting on the counter that calls my name every time I am near our house, okay, within a five-mile radius of our house. We have something from Achenbach's Bakery in Leola called Moravian Cake. Anyone ever have Moravian Cake? What is wrong with you people? Moravian Cake, all right, is nothing but a high-quality health food made by Achenbach's in Leola, all right? And this little treat, this breakfast treat or whatever, yeah, you might want to call it, it's, a, um, it's just full-on like sugar and butter and brown sugar and cinnamon baked on like a little thing of dough, okay? But don't let the dough get in the way of the things that actually taste good, okay? And you heat that baby up in the microwave a little bit, and I'm telling you, mm-hmm, it's hard to turn that down for a, a mid-morning snack, a late-morning snack, a lunch snack, a mid-afternoon snack, a before-dinner teaser, after-dinner, before-dessert moment. I mean, this about any moment you can sneak that thing in. Here's the thing. Here's what, here's what you know, though, about the future. If I keep eating Moravian cake like that, you know what will happen. I'm going to want more Moravian cake, right? I mean, it just, it's good because it's going to be gone. You know, there's something you can predict that if I just keep doing that, there will be something that will happen to me physically that I will not have, that, not a desirable outcome for me. Okay? So we can kind of know that future at a general level, but here's what we also know. When you're trying to figure out where do you go to college, who do you date, how do you spend your money, how should you respond to the sickness that you have, how do you resolve the conflict within your family, who can you go to to say, hey, what's going to happen? Can you tell me the future? <laughs> we might have intuition about a piece of it. We might have wisdom that comes from experience of knowing if you eat too much Moravian cake, here's what's probably going to happen to you. If you go to that college, here's some values they have and here's some things that might happen to you. If you handle that conflict this way, here's some things that might happen, here's some things that will happen to you. But no one knows because they haven't been there. No one knows they haven't been there. He continues with that theme, just in case we're wondering, well, maybe somebody might know, maybe there's hope. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. So he's really applying himself, really thinking. And he says this, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. In other words, it is so confusing, it is so beyond us, the meaning of life, the way it works, the difficulty of making decisions and all the complexities of life. If anyone tells you, I know what the future holds. I know what you should do. Here's, I'm telling you right now, here's the future. Here's what it's going to look like. You, you just know. No one can figure that out. Just beyond what we can do. And that's what he says. No one can do that. Now, in even more evidence from our teacher, he takes us into chapter 9. And this is our final passage for him. And then we're going to move to somebody else. But chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And this is meant to be a section that has very shocking logic, and logic that turns its anticipated outcomes on the head. Check it out in verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. 
Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. This is strange and weird, okay? This isn't even good advice, if I were to be honest with you. Look at verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. But of course it is. Of course it is, Q. Like, when you sign up, and many of you signed up for a 5K race or a half marathon or a triathlon or a bike thing or whatever, what is, what is it that you do? If you want to win and be successful, you train to be faster. Because the race, of course, is to the swift. Like, if you sign up for the 5K, you don't start eating Moravian cake every day. It, it, that doesn't help you. Because, of course, the race is to the swift. If you're going into battle, of course you go to boot camp. It is to the strong. The battle is whoever is strongest. King of the hill is not won by the smallest kid. Like, what are you talking about? Of course the battle is for the strong. Of course, food comes to the wise. Like, if you're foolish and you make bad decisions about your budget or your money, whatever, you make bad decisions, you don't get to eat, and that really stinks. We want to help you with that. But listen, of course food comes to the wise because they make wise decisions, and you get to eat when you make wise decisions. What do you mean food doesn't come to the wise? What do you mean wealth doesn't come to the brilliant, to the sharpest minds in our world? Of course wealth comes to the brilliant. They can figure it out. They're smarter than the rest of us. They don't sit around with nothing. Of course these things happen. And he says, listen, all the things that you expect to be true, he says, I have seen time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance win, he says. Not your ability to think that you can control outcomes. In other words, haven't you also seen someone on your team who's been prepping for a season go down with a major injury? Maybe you even have experienced it yourself. They've been prepping to be strong and fast and good, but then time and chance happened to them. And they can't even play that year because they had a freak injury. Maybe they pushed back from their desk chair and kicked their desk for some dumb reason. You know, who knows? But haven't you known people who've had a lesser GPA than you and because they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody else, they go to a school that you could never even dream of and you're like, really? They were the class clown. And here I am working hard and I get to go to a C-level school and they're up at an A-level school. Like, give me a break. Isn't, isn't wealth and, and future hope supposed to come to those who are wise and brilliant? Like, this doesn't make sense. And he's saying, listen, time and chance happen to them all. It, just the way it works. And then he uses the imagery in verse 12. Moreover, no one knows, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds taken in a snare. So just imagine that. The fish is going around, swimming around, and I don't know if fish talk to each other, how they communicate, you know, what goes on with that, besides finding Nemo, of course, which is based in science. But besides that, they're just swimming around, okay? They're swimming around. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a net. Like, I wasn't planning being in a net today, you know, I just, I've always swum this route, you know, I'm going with the current, and all of a sudden... Wow, I'm in a net. How'd that happen? Didn't see that one coming. Probably wouldn't have come here if I knew that was coming. Or bird in the air, caught, caught in a snare, taken in a snare. I just flying along, just enjoying life, you know, going to find a worm, whatever birds do. I don't know what birds do. Finding a new clean car to go to the bathroom on. Okay, that's probably part of their route. You know, and, and all of a sudden, they're caught in a snare. It's like, whoa, I didn't expect this. And isn't that the way life is for you too? Like, I didn't expect that all of a sudden my wife would have this complication. I just didn't expect that all of a sudden my kids would do this. I, I, man, I did not expect that I'd be in this kind of predicament. 
Like, where did that come from? Wow, I had no idea that I was this close to a disaster. I mean, I just didn't know that this would happen. And this is what he was saying. Listen, all that planning stuff that you do, right? all that going to school and working hard and, and learning and you know, all that being ethical stuff and trying to be honorable and right and all that you do, that's good, good for you, but just don't forget the battle isn't for the strong or, or the race to the swift. And you're like, well, that's really encouraging. What am I supposed to do? Like if, that, if I can't control outcomes, if I can't manage or at least influence outcomes, like what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be weak? Am I supposed to be lazy? Am I supposed to be foolish then? I mean, what am I supposed to do? This is where I say there's two ways to live. Q over here will say, if life is all there is, have fun. Enjoy it. Think little of what you do. If you can have fun while you're sliding into the cold, dark water and enjoy your cake while you're doing it, have at it. If this is all there is, it's all there is. Who cares? Who cares about going to school? Who cares about excelling well? Who cares about any of that? Enjoy life. Enjoy life. That's where Q will leave us. However, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story at all. Still in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I said at the beginning of this, and it's a view that I've told you a couple times, I may be wrong on, okay? But I believe there are two authors to the book of Ecclesiastes. One I have called a frame author, and the other I call Q as a teacher. The frame author, I believe, comes back at the end of the book in chapter 11 and writes, essentially, for his sons and for the next generation, a corrective or a filter upon which we should apply this view of the resurrection to all that he was teaching. And in chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, our frame author, who I believe has a a healthy theological view, comes back with a corrective, comes back with a view, because the question becomes this. If this is the way life is, if life is kind of like this paper towel roll and it's crooked and I can't see the future and by being strong I can't straighten this out because no one can make straight what God has made crooked. If I can't see the future and don't know what's to come, what am I supposed to do? Do I just live with the inevitability of being caught in a snare or being in a trap or whatever? Do I just live with that? And here's some very helpful advice, very helpful advice from our teacher, our frame author, at the end of chapter 11. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So I'm paying attention. You ever been that way? Don't admit that you've ever done it with me, but you've ever been listening to someone for a long time, and then finally they say, hey, here's the point. Of course, I think, well, why didn't you say that earlier? Okay, well, here's the point. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here's here's what's happening. This frame author is telling us, even if you don't know the future, okay, even if if you can't see past the bad days and you can't see past the bend in the road where you are now, and you don't know what is to come, you don't even know the best decision to make. You're confused, literally. You want to honor God, but you're just not clear as to what you should do. What do you do? Fear God. Keep His commandments. In other words, there's always something that you can do in the present that will shape your future. Think of it this way. Do today, right? do today what you want to be known for tomorrow. Okay? Do today what you want to be known for tomorrow. In other words, if you want to be someone who says, my life is about the glory of God, my life wants to reflect the honor of Christ in everything that I do, 
and I want to go there, then today, today, I'm going to fear God and keep his commandments. Today, I'm going to choose that I'm going to revere God. I'm going to give God's word the value and weight it should have. I'm going to give the Spirit of God the invitation to my heart to see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm not just going to lean into what my friends and pop culture and social media says is the right way to respond or the right thing to do. If I want my future to be that my life is about the glory of God, the glory of Christ in my life, that I'm going to do today what I want to be known for tomorrow. And the frame author is saying, when and all is considered, and you still don't even know the future, do today. Do today what you want to be known for tomorrow. Fear God. Keep His commandments. You can always do something. You can always do something. Even if you don't know who to date, where to go to school, what to do with your money, what to do with your sickness, what to do with your kids, what to do with your house. Even if you don't know, what the future holds is it's bent, it's turned, it's confusing, it's not clear. Today, today, I can fear God and I can keep His commandments. Now, I want to offer something that I hope will be of help to you. As you process, how do I even make decisions about the future? This is a, a great a way I've been thinking for a while, and I want to give it to you that I hope is helpful. As you think about, okay, what, what should my future look like? And how do I even make decisions about the future? I remember when Jen and I were considering coming here uh, now almost 13 years ago, a little over 12 and a half years ago now, coming fresh out of Dallas Seminary, trying to figure out God's leading, you know, his movement. You know, should we respond to the, the invitation here or not? Or you know, what do we do? You know, big, big decisions for us. And, you know, what grid do you run that through? How do you know, you know, how to think through that? And what's an honorable way to think through that? Not just, hey, what would be fun for me? I mean, that, does, that seems too self-centered, but maybe that's okay. Or what does God want? Well, what passage of Scripture has, you know, the answer to that? Should I hold my Bible at the window and hope the pages blow open to the right thing and then interpret it the right way, you know, lay a fleece out to God? How do you even make these decisions? Here's the grid that I've been thinking through for many years now, and I just want to offer it to you um, in a way that I hope is helpful to you. As you think about how you make any decision, you know, looking at a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or you know, money decisions, career, um, physical things, house, car, you know, how I respond to cancer, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the grid that I run my life through. Here's the grid that I run these decisions through. Number one, three, three um, conditions and then a question. The first condition is be in the Bible. Okay? If I'm in the Bible, condition number one, and... Condition number two, if I'm in submission to the Holy Spirit, first of all, if I'm in the Bible on a regular basis, if I'm in submission to the Holy Spirit on the second condition. Number three, if I'm in submission to spiritual leadership and accountability, meaning like real flesh and blood people, okay? whether that's elders, uh, formally or informally, but people who are not just going to tell me what I want, people who are wise in their spiritual insight, and you can give me direction if I'm in the Bible, if I'm in submission to the Spirit of God, and if I'm in submission to spiritual authority. 
then here's the question I ask. If those things are true and happening, then I ask, what would I enjoy doing? And just go. And just go. And so I asked that question about this church, you know, 12 and a half years ago. In the Bible regularly, as much as I know in submission to the Spirit, in the submission to spiritual accountability, processing this decision with people who know more than I do about life and have more experience. And then I asked the question, you know, would I enjoy this? And I felt great freedom to say, let's go. And let's not be paralyzed by fear of decision-making. Let's not be paralyzed by being afraid that, boy, if I make that decision in my own strength, God will not honor it. So I have to be very careful, and I need to wait and hear something very specific from God on every decision. And I don't think that's ever going to happen on every decision, not even every big decision. Are you in the Scriptures, in submission to the Holy Spirit, in the submission to spiritual accountability, ask the question, what would bring joy in life to me? And here's what I know. If those things are happening, what brings you joy is already what brings God the Father joy. What brings you joy is already what's going to bring the Spirit of God joy. What brings you joy is already the fact that your life is lined up with fearing God and keeping His commandments. As you think about, man, how do I make decisions? How do I make decisions? You can apply that to me. Who should I date? Boy, he's pretty cute. I mean, she's, she's pretty good looking. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a good start. That's one out of a thousand things you should think about. What more is there? <laughs> Am I in the Word of God? Am I in submission to the Spirit? What do people who are wise people, spiritual people, think around me? And let me move, either rightly or wrongly. Let me move one direction or the other. And I hope to free you up from being paralyzed from making decisions about the future. Finally, I want to say this as we conclude this series. This entire teaching series is built on Q's teaching and reflecting on that. And I want to say that at the end of the day, there's two ways of looking at life. One is that hope is capped at death. And that when you die, that's all there is. And if that's the way life is, man, just live it. Just live it up and enjoy it. But here's what I believe. That the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. That the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything about the way that you parent, the way that you're married, the way that you do business, the way that you worship, the way that you respond to authority, everything about everything. And if you're in a situation here this morning where you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, you know what? I need that. You know? I need that. You need to respond to that. I, I've been searching for a way to make sense of this crooked life. And I don't know what it is. But that makes sense. Because we know that the end of our days are coming. And we know that we're all sliding off the Titanic deck slowly into our death. But those who have hope know that that's not the end. And so the resurrection of Jesus changes everything as we head toward our last day. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I need that. I need that hope. I haven't really been able to put my finger on it, but that's exactly what I need. I need to respond to this Jesus. Why not make this morning the morning where you actually make that decision? Where you actually say, you know what? 
I've been playing around. I'm ready to step forward in my faith and put my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. Why not make this morning that morning? It changes everything about everything. Without the hope of Jesus Christ, we don't have the hope beyond the grave. We simply don't. And so, this morning, you're sitting here near someone, around someone who has brought you perhaps, or you're friends with those around you. You certainly know at this point, if you're sitting here this morning, who I am. I would love to have the conversation with you. And the people around you, I'm telling you now, would love to have that conversation with you too. To say, let me talk. Let us talk about this. Let us respond to this together and walk in this journey together to keep knowing and responding to who Jesus is. The resurrection of Christ changes everything about everything. It changes life from meaningless to meaningful. There's always something you can do today, even if you don't know what the future holds. Do today what you want to be known for tomorrow. If you want your life to be about the glory of Christ, what an opportunity today to respond to Him. I hope this series on Ecclesiastes has framed up for you a life that can give you a heart of wisdom. That as you look at this life, you can realize and see that there's always hope for the future. There's always hope for the things that are going on in life. It may be difficult to see today. You might be in the middle of a bend in the road, and it's very difficult to see that. I get that. We don't want to minimize that. But there's always hope with Christ. We want to walk this journey with you together. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the chance that we have to engage it and interact with your scriptures, with the hope that exists within not only its pages, but the fact that the Bible points us to you. The Bible points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, Father, for those of us who have heard the message and who have heard about Jesus before and maybe even have been in church for a while, but just haven't, for one reason or another, responded and, and pushed into stepping into a relationship with him, I pray that in this moment right now, that you would give them courage to do so. That in this moment right now, that in their hearts, they would not give up on that prompting that you might be having in their minds and hearts right now, and that they would take that next step of responding to you and not letting the moment and the day go by. And I pray even now, as I'm going to give a moment here for all of us with our heads bound and eyes closed, if you are in that situation where this morning you are hearing that message and you're thinking, I need to respond to this. I need to do something. I need to respond by placing my faith in Christ that I never have. I'm going to ask you right now, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you would respond to that moment and not let it go by by simply raising your hand now and saying, I need this now. And as you are sitting here, and you're thinking in your mind and heart about what you've heard and what is impressed upon you for this series, if there is something in your mind and heart where you say, you know what, I need prayer for this decision I need to make. I need wisdom for what to do next. 
I needed to hear the hope of this, and I need to respond to something. I need to do something in response to what I've heard. I need to make a decision. I need to write a letter. I need to stop doing or start doing something. But you know that you need a little more prompting to do this, and you're afraid that you, maybe you won't, even though something has been impressed on your heart today. So I'm going to give you this moment now with the same criteria, our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you raise your hand now? as a sign even just to yourself that I need to do this and I'm committing that I'm going to do what's on my mind and heart now to do. And will you raise your hand right now? Father, I thank you for the men and women in this congregation who are moved by your spirit to work and to act according to your good pleasure. Give us the courage to do what we know we need to do to not let moments go by, but to step in with great courage and love, grace, and fearlessness, trusting in your spirit. We want to be people who will follow you wherever we go, and that is difficult, but help us to do it. It's because of our great love for you that we ask for your help to do what we know that we need to do. And we thank you for your grace and your courage that you give. In Jesus' name we pray.